My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Michael Kokenauer, president of IT Synergy. Michael and I speak about networking technology, including the differences in writing RFPs for new network projects versus expansions. You literally do have to build out all of the networking infrastructure uh, kind of from the ground up. Um, And then there's also a lot of examples of expansion. As well as how important it is to ready users for network expansion. From the user's perspective, any change can be very disruptive to their productivity. And so I think it's very important as part of any implementation that you're very clearly communicating to users, this is what we're going to do, this is when we're going to do it, this is how it's going to look, this is how it's going to be different, this is how it's going to impact your day. Michael joins us to discuss all of the considerations around networking technology. He explains that there are basically three aspects of the network for end users to think about the wired network, the wireless network, and site-to-site networks. He also explains the differences between building a network from scratch versus expanding on an existing network. If you're moving into a new building or office, then you have the ability to build out your network. If you're expanding functionality or scope of your network in your current environment, then there are much different considerations. A provider is going to need to integrate new equipment into existing and legacy equipment in an expansion, while there is less to complicate the process in a build-out. Then there are the little things that people don't think about. Distance, for example. Cabling under 100 meters can use copper wiring, while cabling over 100 meters should use fiber. The speed of your network is another great example. This will determine what standard you use for wiring, whether it be CAT5, CAT6, or some variant. You may want to use 10 gigabit speed for parts of your network and 1 gigabit speed for others, depending on bandwidth and needs and cost. Luckily, Michael expands on all of these topics in our interview. He explains how to write an RFP so that the IT provider has a clear understanding of the project in order to give a proposal with an accurate bid. Michael stresses the importance of clearly outlining your needs as well as your current infrastructure for expansion projects. He also explains how to set expectations for ongoing service and training. Michael has valuable insight from years of experience as an IT provider. I encourage anyone inside or outside of the IT department to listen to the interview in order to gain a better understanding of how networks are built to help companies. I'll let Michael give you all of the details. Enjoy the interview. Before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions Podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Michael Kokenauer, president of IT Synergy. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Really, I wanted to have Michael on because Michael knows a lot about networking technology, and we've invited him on the podcast as part of our series and covering different technology topics so that end users can effectively demonstrate to different stakeholders why these technologies are needed and really write these technologies into an RFP in the best way possible. So just going off of that, what is networking technology? What sort of technologies are associated with this technology topic? Well, at the, at the very basic level, uh, you know, you require a network in order for all of the devices within your technology environment to speak with each other, to communicate back and forth. Um, and so that's kind of the most basic definition. Um, to expand out from that, there are a lot of things that can be included under the headline of networking technology. So that could certainly be your wired network or, you know, the, the jack that your computer connects into the wall. Um, but it could also expand out to things like uh, wireless networks, uh, maybe site-to-site -site networks, where if you've got, you know, two buildings or a campus of buildings and you need to create connectivity between those, um, and then, of course, it could also get into all of the security-related topics as well, because once we connect our computers, uh, that means we need to make sure that we are protecting them, because especially with a lot of the viruses, malware, ransomware, et cetera, that's out there today, if those uh, malicious softwares have access to a network, it means they're able to cause that much more damage. And so certainly when you think about networking, you've got to think about making sure that it is secure as well. Sure. And, and we'll have another interview specifically on cybersecurity. So we'll stick to networking in general, uh, sort of the standard definition of it, as you mentioned. Now, Michael, you mentioned that there's, you know, there's wired networks, there's site to site networks, there's wireless networks. Typically, as an IT provider, when someone comes to you and is looking for some sort of network technology, I'm going to assume that you know, you're not building it from the ground up unless they're opening a new location or something like that. So what do you commonly see when someone comes to you for networking technology? Are they looking to set up a wireless network or is it typically going site to site or just bolster their ex existing network? Yeah, I would say it's it's actually a pretty evenly distributed combination amongst all of the things that you've mentioned. So the first scenario that you've mentioned where, you know, maybe somebody is moving into a new office or or something along those lines, that's certainly a fairly common scenario because oftentimes, you know, you don't know what you're running into in the new facility or maybe they're building it out from scratch. And so you literally do have to build out all of the networking infrastructure uh, kind of from the ground up. Um, and then there's also a lot of examples of expansion or um, possibly even using networking as money-saving techniques. So, uh, for example, we have a customer right now, a rather sizable local nonprofit who is currently paying their uh, internet provider quite a bit of money for a private circuit between two uh, different buildings. But those two different buildings are actually located um, roughly a block away from each other, and there's a very clear line of sight. And so that's an example where we can use some wireless site-to-site -site technology by putting some uh, equipment on the roof of both buildings and shoot the signal directly and actually save quite a bit of money that way, uh, you know, through their, their internet provider by not having to pay for that dedicated circuit any longer. Okay, so what are the different considerations then between a company that is building the network from the ground up and a company that just wants to expand on or bolster that, that network? Let's go straight to the RFP in this case. For a company that is opening a new site, building the network from the ground up, 
what should they be building into the RFP? What should they tell you as an IT provider to help you do your job to the best of your ability and help them to the best of your ability? Yeah, so the first thing that we've got to decide is what what are the requirements of the technology at the new site and what speed of network are those requirements going to drive? So most commonly, networks today are now being built at one gigabit speed, uh, but there are certainly a lot of older networks out there that are running at 100 megabit speed. Um, and even before that, the standard was 10 megabits, although we don't see that very often anymore. Um, so, so the first thing you've got to decide is what speed is, is required, and that's going to determine not only what type of uh, physical medium is going to be required in terms of the wiring, uh, but it's also going to determine a lot of the networking equipment that needs to be included in the RFP as well, uh, because you know the the switches or the other devices that are concentrating these connections are what is going to be critical in determining the speed of the network. Um, and then in some cases, with customers, and this could be the case whether they're building out a new site or possibly even enhancing an existing site, they may even want to run certain parts of their network at 10 gigabit speed, which is some of the fastest speeds that are out there now. Generally speaking, the 10 gigabit is too expensive at this point to run that for everybody, but a lot of times uh, companies will run that on the back end as part of a storage network or some kind of a dedicated thing where a very high bandwidth requirement exists. So going back to your question regarding RFP, number one, we've got to determine what speed we need, and that's going to help us determine what we need to purchase in terms of connecting devices like switches. It's also going to help us to determine uh, the type of material that we use, uh, you know, CAT5 cable, CAT5E, CAT6, CAT6A, all of these different types of standards. And then secondly, we've got to determine some of the distances involved. Um, and so if your longest cable run is longer than 100 meters, then you're going to need to look at an alternative medium like fiber. So a lot of times where that comes into play is maybe you have a very large warehouse and it's longer than 100 meters from one site to the other, or maybe we've, you've even got a couple of buildings that are in very close proximity, and so you need to run fiber between the buildings because of the longer distance. And then inside of the building, you can go back to the copper, the Cat5 or Cat5e or, or whatever you're going to run there. Um, and so distance is certainly a, a consideration for the RFP. And then finally, going back to a little bit about what we talked about earlier, is you've also got to consider what are the requirements of the network users, and do we need wired uh, wireless or is wired only equivalent or is that going to be sufficient to meet our needs? So, for example, maybe we have a scenario where we've got some factory workers and uh, in a manufacturing plant and maybe those factory workers are carrying some type of handheld device like barcode scanners or something like that. And so they're not always going to need to be wired to the network. Then obviously we need to ensure that there is a wireless component to our network. And so we would want to include those elements in our RFP. And in other cases, a more traditional like uh, business office, let's say like a law firm or a CPA firm or something like that, maybe the requirement for wireless isn't as great because people are primarily going to work from desktops in a fixed office all of the time. And so wired is going to be a better choice with maybe just a small wireless implementation just for like a guest wireless network so that when guests come in, they can get internet access. And so all of those things really need to be uh, considered, and, and each one of them independently, if it's required, needs to be included in the RFP uh, so that the, the IT vendor can address that particular need. And for those companies that are looking for expansion of the network, I would imagine that a lot of it is similar to what you just said, where they're looking to upgrade speed or upgrade to more wireless access, things like that. Why don't you tell us about some of the reasons that people want to expand? 
And then can you go into a little bit as well of, you know, for the IT department, a lot of times you run into justifying purchasing decisions to people that are outside of the IT department and may not fully realize why some of these at times costly technologies are needed. So why don't you go into A, why do people expand? And B, how do they justify that expansion to people, to stakeholders within their company that are, you know, determining the budget? I would say in general that uh, expansion is probably driven by two major categories. So so the first would be uh, kind of what I would consider to be the obvious one, which is simply growth. So, uh, you know, maybe we're expanding the size of our office, we're taking on additional facilities, or, or possibly we're even expanding uh, geographically. So, you know, maybe we're taking on a new building uh, in another area of town or uh, possibly in, in another location altogether. So expansion in general um, is is definitely a driver of growth because we need more seats, more functionality, et cetera. Um, and, and then what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll kind of address the second part of your question, and I'll come back to the other reason that people would expand. So second part of your question, in terms of how you justify it, I would say the growth is actually easier to justify because I think in general, uh, corporate leadership, if they are expanding, hiring additional employees, opening new facilities, et cetera, I think there's kind of a built-in expectation that there's probably going to be some additional expense for networking equipment that will be required to run that new facility. And so I think it's a lot easier uh, for the IT folks to make the case to business leadership that, hey, we're opening this new building or we're doubling the size of our office. And so we're going to need to make some investments in the network infrastructure um, and, and the equipment that we have in place. And, and I think that that's generally fairly uh, not only well-received by the leadership team, but also expected on the leadership team because they're already making a large capital expenditure, most likely as part of the expansion anyway. Um, and then going back to the first part of your question, the other thing that we see that, that really drives change or, or growth on the networking side is the addition of some type of new functionality or possibly new requirements. So the wireless that we've talked about all along is a great example of this. Uh, maybe uh, we, we have uh, very limited wireless capability or maybe we have no wireless capability at all right now, um, then certainly that would be something that, that would uh, drive growth of the networking side of things. Um, also as well, maybe we are uh, going to increase the complexity of our networking uh, footprint as well, and that may require some new equipment and some new technology. So I talked earlier about possibly opening a new site in a different city um, then we may need to bring in some new types of networking equipment like routers and those types of things to uh, connect our two offices so that the two can communicate. Um, or we also talked earlier about uh, possibly upgrading speed for only a portion of the network. So maybe going to that 10 gig speed, um, that also can, can drive additional networking requirements. And then the justification on the new functionality is sometimes a little bit more difficult to make simply because um, you're bringing something new to an organization that doesn't already exist, and so it's much more important to have a good, solid business justification for those expenses. Uh, and, and the most important thing I think to have there in terms of justification is the better picture you have of employee productivity and the financial impact of increasing or decreasing employee productivity the easier it is to make that case. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite types of customers to work with is law firms, simply because they have a very, very good understanding of the time value of money. So an attorney knows, hey, I bill $450 an hour. 
And so if you can uh, save me one hour per week, that's an additional $450 that I can earn in top line revenue. And so in those cases, when we're making investments in networking, like adding wireless or increasing speed, if we can make the case to the attorney that, for example, by increasing your speed, uh, we're going to have you wait 30 seconds less per hour, say, or maybe an hour per day less on waiting for your computer to process something or waiting to pull up some piece of information, then the attorney is able to very quickly in his head do the math and figure out what that means financially. And at that point, it becomes very easy to cost justify this new functionality. Um, if you don't have, if you can't demonstrate that positive impact on employee productivity, a lot of the times the justification of new networking equipment can be a lot more difficult. Um, and so that's definitely the most desirable way to go is, is to try to look at, um, you know, the, the impact that it'll have on employee productivity. And once you have that buy-in from those stakeholders for expansion specifically when you're writing an RFP, what additional considerations do you have to put in there or what different considerations do you need to put in there? I would imagine that you need to essentially outline your current network for the IT provider to be able to expand on that. But what else do people need to uh, put into an RFP as opposed to writing an RFP for a brand new network? Yeah, absolutely. So very, very different writing for brand new network versus for expansion. Um, obviously, brand new, when you're building from the ground up, you're starting from Greenfield. That's a fairly straightforward exercise. To your point, I would agree with you 100% that if you're going to write an RFP to expand an existing part of your network, as much detail as you can possibly provide to an IT provider regarding the architecture of the existing network and include that information in the RFP, the less questions that you're going to get and the less uncertainty from the IT provider. So uh, some of the things that, that we would like to see in an RFP, for example, are uh, we'd love to see network diagrams. Those are all very helpful, and the more detailed they are, the better. Um, we also like to see lists of equipment so that we know what is out there today, uh, so that we know that you know whatever equipment we're putting in as part of the expansion, we know we're going to have to interoperate with the existing infrastructure. And so the more that we know about the existing infrastructure, the better off we're going to be. Um, also, I personally like to, to know for the equipment that's out there already that we're going to be integrating with, uh, I think it's a very helpful piece of information to know something about the age of that equipment uh, because that helps to tell us whether it's still under warranty. And also if you can provide whether that equipment is under a current support contract with the vendor, that also is very helpful because, for example, if I need to integrate some new equipment as part of the expansion with an existing piece of equipment that you already have, but maybe I'm not as familiar with the existing piece of equipment that you have. If I know that that's a relatively new piece of equipment and it's under warranty and it has a support contract, uh, then I'm much more likely to bid on that RFP lower because I know I have that resource that I can go to with the piece of equipment that I'm unfamiliar with. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that it is important for the conversation to be had about, you know, this is what we have, this is what we want to do. Moving on from that, and, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, you might not be familiar with some things, but the IT department might not be familiar with some things that the IT providers bring in there. As far as training goes or ongoing support goes, how should that be written into an RFP or should it be written in at all? You know, should end users have the expectation that, you know, we need to specifically say in the RFP that we expect ongoing support or we expect it in a monthly or a yearly contract? How do those conversations about ongoing support after implementation, how do those happen? 
Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you 100% that that should definitely be written into the RFP because I think that that's something that should be clarified before the deal is ever done rather than uh, you have one expectation, your IT provider has a different expectation, and you don't realize that there's a misalignment between those expectations until you're, you're very far down the road. So, uh, for example, when, when we respond to RFPs or when we provide proposals to our customers, a lot of times we will put some default language in, in our response or in our proposal that addresses specifically uh, the issue of education. And, and I think there are a couple of different tactics that we will normally take on that depending on the individual situation. So in some cases, uh, what the existing IT team wants is they just want knowledge transfer. And so when we implement a new solution as part of a networking expansion, they want to know, uh, you know, they want to make sure that we're handing them over a complete documentation about what it is that we've implemented so that they can manage it going forward. And then they also want to make sure that they get some time with us to do knowledge transfer where we tell them, hey, here's how this stuff is configured. Here's why we configured it this way. Here's some things you need to watch out for. This should be changed. This shouldn't be changed. You know, all of those sorts of things. And so really that's more of just a one-time event. And that's not so much educating them how to use the new hardware or software or technology or whatever it is. It's mostly just making sure that they know what we did and what the background was and what the reasoning was so that going forward as issues come up, they're able to address them. Um, in other cases, customers actually want a more complete education. And so that can be accomplished in a couple of ways. Sometimes we'll actually advocate that a customer goes out to a third-party training resource and get some education. So let's say, for example, we're bringing in some new brand of networking equipment. We may encourage them to go and engage with a third-party training resource or with the vendor directly to get educated on that particular brand of hardware or software. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we will just supplement their education that they got from the vendor with, you know, what are the specifics of their implementation of their particular scenario that they may need to know. Um, and then in other cases where maybe the, the new piece of equipment is a bit more proprietary or maybe we have some advanced knowledge or, or those types of things, uh, then maybe we'll just provide the education directly. And so we'll spend some time with them, um, you know, sometimes on a, on a repeated basis over several sessions going through and really teaching them how to news, use the new equipment. Where this all really becomes significant in terms of the RFP is the different approaches that I have just described all have very different implications in terms of how I'm going to price my response to an RFP. So obviously, for example, if you're going to go out and get the majority of your training from a third party, then I don't have to build a lot of time into my proposal to, uh, to spend with you for training, uh, right? If I'm just doing a basic knowledge transfer, you know, maybe there's an hour or two or whatever just to transfer knowledge and then maybe a week period where we're answering any questions, then I'm going to build in very little time. Whereas if I'm going to spend several days with you or maybe we're going to have a recurring appointment over a month or several months where I'm going to come back and teach you more and more and more every time, then I've got to build a lot more time into my proposal for that. And so going back to your original point, that's why I think it's very important to clarify exactly what the education expectation is on both sides uh, in, in, in advance so that you don't have these misunderstandings. And from the standpoint of the company writing an RFP, if that was me, I would want to define what I want out of education and put that in the RFP rather than letting the vendor just provide me with a proposal and they dictate to me what it is they want to provide. Moving on to the implementation process, what can the end users expect for considerations around that? And what I mean by that is, 
you know, if you're building a new network, it's probably not as tricky to figure out, okay, you guys can come in here. You know, we're not moved into the office yet. You guys can come in during normal business hours. You guys can, you know, the network doesn't exist, so there's no shutting down the network or anything like that. But specifically for expansion, I can imagine there's a lot of hurdles that need to be crossed about, you know, we need the network to be up and running during these hours. We need you to come in during these hours, things like that. What are some things that end users should expect as far as, you know, maneuvering around regular business operations in order to expand the network? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Those are all considerations that need to be taken into account and also things that I would definitely encourage writing into the RFP so that as people respond to that RFP, they know exactly what the expectations are because they may have additional charges for after hours work or other things like that. And so you want to make sure to set those expectations up front. Uh, There are a couple of key things that I would say are crucial for success in implementation of an expansion type project. Number one is a, a very solid change control system. And so we want to make sure whenever we're touching anything in the existing network as part of an expansion, we want to make sure that we've got that well-planned, well-thought-out, and well-documented as part of a change control system so that we know exactly what we're doing, exactly when we're doing it, what we anticipate the impact to be, if any, and what our rollback strategy will be if something goes wrong or if something un- unanticipated comes up how are we going to recover for that? So change control strategy, number one. Number two, I would also very strongly advocate a really solid end-user communication plan. And whether that's something that is executed by the vendor or whether that's something that's executed by the internal IT team with guidance from the vendor, I think it's very, very important. You know, Users just in general are often very adverse to change. Uh, and, and as technical folks, a lot of times we look at it and we see, well, it's not that big of a deal because technically it's equivalent. But, you know, from the user's perspective, any change can be very disruptive to their productivity. And so I think it's very important as part of any implementation that you're very clearly communicating to users, this is what we're going to do, this is when we're going to do it, this is how it's going to look, this is how it's going to be different, this is how it's going to impact your day, here's where you can get some education on the new tools that we're implementing, here's when you can expect it to happen, all of those things so that you minimize the impact of change and have no surprises for the end users as you implement this expansion. Michael, thank you so much for all of the insight. This has been really wonderful. Uh, For any of our audience members that are listening right now, let them know your service area and how can they get in touch with you if they're looking for, you know, advice or looking to hire your company. Yeah, absolutely. I think the easiest thing is just to find us on the web at www.itsynergy.com. Uh, We primarily serve the uh, Phoenix metropolitan area. We do have some customers outside that geography, uh, but for the most part, in order for us to work with an organization, they've got to have either a headquarters or a major presence in Phoenix. And uh, as I said, www.itsynergy.com is probably the best place to find us. Well, I encourage everyone to check that out, whether they're in the Phoenix area or not. Michael Kokenauer, president of IT Synergy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.techdecisions.co or follow us on Twitter at My Tech Decisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thanks for listening, and good luck on your installations and implementations. <laughs>